Alrighty, hello everybody. It's been a long time since I've done a live. Um, I'm really inspired to do this on Limerence. I'm not in the mood to edit, so I just don't really feel like recording all this, editing all this, and then putting it out. So I'm gonna do a live today. Um, <clears throat> this is gonna be about Limerence. So I by no means am an expert on this topic because I literally just learned what this word was like three days ago. But after doing quite a lot of research, I feel like I have a lot of direct experience with limerence. And so even though I had never heard the word, it makes so much sense to me because it's something that I've experienced. I've just never had um, the language to be able to describe it. And from the people that I was watching the videos on, which I will definitely tag them uh, once I'm finished with this, because there's two YouTube accounts that I think do an absolutely incredible job of laying this whole thing out. And I hope that I can do it justice the way that they did. Um, yeah, so very interesting. So let's just start off here with describing what is limerence. And perhaps you've experienced this as well. In fact, I would say that a lot of people experience this because limerence is the byproduct of attachment trauma. And so if you're somebody who has an insecure attachment style, whether that's anxious or fearful avoidant, those are typically the two that will experience limerence the most then chances are this is something that you've gone through. So let me just first kind of explain what it is. So this is a definition that's given by Heidi Preeb, which is one of the YouTube accounts that I'm gonna um, tag. I just wanna say I heard this because I was listening to the Cosmic Matrix podcast, which is Laura Matsu and Bar Barnard Gunther, I hope I'm saying their names right, their podcast. and. Um, the episode was on the Twin Flame Universe, that series that just came out on, I think, Netflix and Amazon Prime. It's basically like a Twin Flame type of cult. Uh, and she describes limerence when she's talking about the people who get caught up in the kind of scheme that this couple is selling people. So then I was like, wait. And I started looking it up and then that's when I found all this information. I was like, oh, this is really good stuff. So it is when we become more attached to the idea of someone that we have inside of our head than we are to the actual person. So I'm going to kind of uh, describe this in a couple different ways. It's when you choose to prioritize having a fantasy with someone in your head over the real relationship that you have with them in real life. And so um, this can show up in a lot of different ways. It can show up in its most extreme form in sort of like a stalking type of scenario, um, a preoccupation and almost like obsession with the, the object of limerence, which is how they describe it. So it's a person, but this becomes a process of projection where we are projecting this idealized and pedestalized version of somebody and we're fitting them into a role in our life without actually being in reality about who that person is. So you guys have heard me talk about 
compatibility a lot because it's really important to me. And I think that a lot of people um, who suffer with childhood trauma or are in that process of healing, a lot of times the sense of self or identity can be disturbed. And so if we don't really know ourselves very well, then it's going to be hard to advocate for that, to speak and communicate like this is who I am and then thus also be in reality about another person. And one of the things that Heidi Preeb talks about is that some people and really a lot of people will spend their entire life going from one limerence object to the next. So just continuing to like, okay, that relationship didn't work out, that friendship didn't work out, so now I'm gonna go to the next and I'm, I'm gonna put that person on a pedestal. And then when that bubble bursts or that, you know, they become a human being, <laughs> well, they, they were a human being the whole time, but when you see the reality that they are a human being and that bubble bursts, right? then go then we go into kind of the devaluation process or they hate me oh my god so it's really interesting because as i was learning about this a lot of this has overlap with some borderline personality traits which is also a byproduct of attachment trauma and so the things like the splitting the black and white thinking where our perception of other people is not integrated it's we're still working with that attachment system that's in a state of survival and when our brain is in a state of survival, it puts things into a black or white category, good, bad, hate me, love me, right? And so we tend to have this really polarized view um, of other people. And once that bubble bursts, right, we can go into that, oh, now they're off the pedestal. And it's, it's actually quite dangerous. And it's really not fair um, to other people for us to put them on that pedestal because when we're doing that, we're not actually invested in connecting. And one of the things that Heidi says in her videos is like a lot of people, and I really feel that this is true, don't actually want connection because real connection happens in real time. And it's something that requires us to take a lot of self-responsibility and accountability and we also have to be willing to take new information in about people and integrate that into our concept of them. So let's say, you know, you have this idea of this person being so perfect in your head, but then they say something or they do something and suddenly it's like, whoa, wait, wait a second. Like you have to be able to integrate that information because as we get to know people, right, they reveal themselves to us. So kind of lost my train of thought with that a little bit, but um, not wanting actual connection because real connection is messy and actually preferring the fantasy over the reality. So one of the examples that she gives, which I th thought was really interesting, was from her, her personal life. She describes um, she had gone through like a deep period of grief. So a lot of times people will have something happened, their life will be in turmoil, and this will be a trigger for this phase of limerence to come up. There's so much, you guys, that I want to go through in this video. This could honestly end up being like an hour long because there's so much to go through. But so she describes like meeting this person and developing this very intense attraction towards him. Well, what was interesting is that when she would actually go to hang out with him, 
she would get really resentful and frustrated with him because he wasn't living up to the fantasy that she had of him in her head. And not only that, but he wasn't giving her enough space for her to interact with the version of him that she had within her own mind. So she would have sex with this person, but while she would be having sex with him, she would be anxious for the sex to be over so that she could go back into the fantasy of him wanting her because that's what the whole thing was about is this person was filling that role of I really want you and so it was much safer for her system to actually engage with the fantasy of this person wanting her than it was the reality of when they were actually having sex she was basically just using the one-on-one interactions in real life as fodder for her emotional masturbation and that's kind of what she also describes it as is it's a form of emotional masturbation and again it's not really based in the reality of the person and it oftentimes really has nothing to do with them so i just want to first of all normalize that i think the majority of people are walking around with attachment trauma because i don't think that most people um I mean, personal development and like all of this stuff is relatively new to be mainstream. Most people's parents um, were not educated about that stuff. So people are experiencing such a wide range, right? Things from neglect to uh, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, um, having physical needs met, but not having certain emotional needs met. And all of these things are going to lead to us having an insecure attachment because when we're a child you know if we're in an ideal situation our parent is the person who's going to look at us with wonder you know like wow I just love you so much I really want to get to know you you're like the center of my world right and for most of us we didn't have that experience or we had that experience a little bit but then it was quickly changed or it was inconsistent and so you can see why later on in life these things would show up in relationships as an adult because the inner child is still looking for that parent is still looking for that experience of being rescued so let me just go through some of the the pieces here And thanks for like, because I'm going to be going for a flow and then I might have to pause and just check in here with my notes. Okay, so I just want to name like some of the some of the symptoms. Um, as a child, here, here's some symptoms like when you were younger that might have shown up that are a sign that you were already experiencing that limerence with people. So I had this for sure. I had like obsessions with male teachers. I can specifically think of like one or two of them. And I, you know, definitely had a father wound. Um, My biological father abandoned me and it's a lot to that whole situation, but a lot of male abandonment in my life. So I would fantasize about my teacher, like, being this perfect being that would be kind to me and rescue me. Um, That's a perfect example. Having fantasies of being adopted by a friend's family or spending a lot of time over there. 
And some of these limerence objects, they don't have to be people that you actually know. So it could be a celebrity. It could be, you know, the Brady Bunch or some perfect family that you imagine. And what can start to happen is, you know, you may even wake up and the first thing that you think, like you'll reference them in your mind. And this is a form of self-soothing. So a lot of times it, it can come up throughout the day, in the morning, at night. And there's there's this thing where you start to include them and the idea of them <clears throat> in your day-to-day activities. You may fantasize about a future with this person. And it's so important that we recognize when this stuff is happening because first of all, it's pretty uncomfortable um, even though, like I was saying, it feels a lot more safe than actual connection for people, which is why they would prefer the fantasy. Um, but it can be really distressing because it starts to take over your life and take over your life to the point where people can have a hard time even functioning or paying attention to day-to-day tasks. And even when they're doing a day-to-day task, they're thinking about that person being a part of that task, which again, really has nothing to do with the reality of that person. Um, One of the other examples that she talks about that I think is so great um, I'm so thirsty. Let me, I'm just going to grab my kombucha real quick. It's like the heat's blowing like a lot in here cause it's cold. So she dries out. Um, one of the things she talks about is sexual attraction and how for most people, you know, with attachment trauma, we have mistaken that limerence for sexual attraction, for real attraction towards someone, not really understanding that there is a massive difference. So a lot of us were never really shown, I mean, first of all, most people are just disembodied to begin with, like not connected to the body. And then when it comes to this even like during the act of sex, a lot of us can be disembodied in the sense that we're thinking about what does that, like how that other person is perceiving you. And a lot of times it can even be a projection like, oh wow, this person wants me so much right now. Now I hope that that's the experience that you're having while you're having sex, but that may not be the reality of what's going on in that person's head. They might be looking at you intently, but they might not actually be present with you. Um, And one of the things she describes is that like real sexual attraction, it's lower in the body, it's grounded in the body. And there's like, there's a calmness to it because when our survival system is online, fight, flight, freeze, our reproductive system is not prioritized. So you can't really have a dysregulated nervous system. You can't really be in a state of anxious preoccupation and simultaneously be experiencing deep and true sexual attraction and a turn on within your body because you have to be relatively calm in order to actually feel that. And it's sort of this, she describes it as like an imminent, uh, in the present moment feeling that's rooted in the body. And when we're interacting with someone, whether it's through just a regular connection or through sex, we really want to be tuned into our direct experience. Um, And one of the things she also mentions is about radical honesty, something that I am very interested in and want to learn more about. 
um, because it's a practice of authentic relating and of uh, like being radically honest with ourselves and with other people and not projecting because this is what this really is, is it's, it's a form of projection. So, and I'm going to get to also like how we can use this to do shadow work on ourselves and how we can use this to actually identify what aspects of ourselves we have been cut off from. So let me rewind for a second. Um, I will save this live. Yes. So sexual fantasy, what was you saying? Sexual attraction, lower in the body. I just lost my train of thought with that. Oh, um, oh yeah, the radical honesty. Okay. So I'm still getting like my short-term memory back, you guys. So sometimes my short-term memory is not the best. Um, and also like doing a live. Sometimes I just get like, it's a lot of energy, y'all. It's a lot of energy coming in. <gasps> radical honesty. Okay, focus. So what she describes is when we are, first of all, there's, there's kind of two rules in radical honesty. You don't want to hold on to resentments and you don't want to hold on to appreciation. When we hold on to appreciation, now that may sound strange, right? Like, what do you mean? Don't hold on to appreciation. Well, let's say that you do something for me, or I really like the way that like you support me in some way. You're listening to me. I need your help. And I really appreciate that. If I hold on to that, what can oftentimes happen is I can then create an unconscious expectation that you are going to do that for me forever now, instead of actually being present with like, oh, you did this one thing for me in this moment. And what we also do is we tend to project motives onto other people without actually knowing what their motives truly are. So for example, with this, the example she gave of like a friend listening to her, her radical honesty of appreciation would look something like whatever a robot could tangibly write down. So if somebody of a third party were to just look at the interaction between you and that person and they weren't a mind reader, they couldn't pick up on any, on any motives, right? The story that we tell ourselves about why someone's doing what they're doing. You could only, that person or that robot would only be able to observe what tangibly, objectively happened. That's what we want to have appreciation for people about. And we want to actually ask instead of assuming about motives. So that would look something like, I really appreciate that you were with me today for three hours. I felt supported by you connecting with me. Thank you for listening to me and giving me eye contact. Now, you could then ask like, did you feel present with me? Did you, what was your experience? Instead of just assuming what that other person's experience is. Cause um, this is another really interesting thing. If there is genuine connection with someone, it will almost always go both ways. So if you've ever had a situation I'll give you an example. Um, there was a, a man that I met probably like six months ago or something. And I think he developed a very strong limerence towards me. Um, 
sorry, I just got distracted by that comment. Oh yeah, okay, so he developed a really strong limerence towards me. And in his, really, I could see from the outside what was happening. He felt so connected to me, but I didn't feel connected to him. That's because we weren't actually connecting. He was projecting a fantasy of me onto me and he was interacting with that fantasy. The reason that I didn't feel connected to him was because I could actually sense that. So if, if one person feels like, wow, I'm so connected, but you don't feel that way, or you feel like, wow, I'm so connected to them, but they don't feel that way, chances are there's qualities about you that they're not actually seeing. And chances are, if, if the roles are reversed, there's qualities about that person that you're not actually seeing and you're putting them on a pedestal and thus you're not actually connecting with the real person there, but instead the idea of them. So what else? There was something else kind of related to this. Like it really comes from this, this inner child, this, this desire to belong to someone. And the more that we become aware of that, the more that we can start to connect with our own inner children um, and, and go, okay, what is this missing experience? So I want to share one other example that she gave. I'm basically just re saying that entire fucking video that Heidi, what's her name? Heidi Pre did, so there you go. But I'm an information disseminator, so this is what I do. I absorb the information, and then when it's so good, I'm like, I have to reshare this. Okay, um, so thanks for staying with me, guys, in these, like, random pauses. Do-do-do, what was I going to say? Mm-hmm. This is not lasting, it's not real connection, and it's guaranteed to keep us feeling powerless because power comes from being in reality. Um, oh, just to go back for a second about the sexual piece, you know how I was saying like real sexual attraction is like imminent, it's calm, it's lower in the body. The limerence kind of sexual attraction, it's all mental. So if you're just like in the mental fantasy, that's limerence. You're not actually grounded in into the body. What was I just about to say before that? Um, mm -mm -mm. Inner child work, the needs, the unmet needs. Oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. So superiority and inferiority. So one of the things that she describes is how she, she met this man very briefly, like almost had no real interaction with him. But when she met him, she perceived him as being somebody who had it all together and was, you know, like a strong leader and super calm and like better than her, like had it together more than her. Okay. I'm sure that we've all done this. Oh, this person knows more than me, right? They're an expert. Put them on the pedestal. Well, what she realized is she said, every time I would imagine this person, she would imagine them in her mind's eye, like up into her right, as if they were literally above her. 
And what she also shared was that she has a tendency to be a caregiver, to be hyper responsible for everybody else around her. So the majority of the way that she would interact with people is like they need her caregiving, right? So they would be more here. She's the expert. So you, you get where I'm going with this. The unmet need was to have somebody, which again, doesn't this all sound like attachment trauma, to have somebody be the, the expert, the guide, the, the have it more together. And by referencing that person at a higher place in her, it created a false sense of safety for her. Now, it's externalized and it's not really integrated and long-term it isn't really helpful for us. This is a maladaptive strategy. It's a strategy that helped us to survive childhood because when you don't have that secure attachment as a child, when you don't have that connection, but you have to continue to go on, you have to continue to live your day-to-day life, fantasy is going to be the only thing that keeps you going. So I really need you to understand that if you're somebody who struggles with this, it's because that fantasy allowed you to keep living in an environment that was toxic. Whether that was a fantasy of having somebody rescue you, of, you know, idealizing a teacher or becoming codependent with some of your friends. It was a, it was a strategy. So what she did with this inferior, superior thing, right, in order to integrate it, is she imagined what it would be like to put that person where everybody else kind of normally is, where she feels like she's responsible for taking care of them. And she immediately felt incredibly anxious. So this is something to know. This limerence is a strategy for self-regulation. It's an attempt to soothe ourselves. And so when we ask, what would I feel if this person wasn't filling this role for me? What is it that this is protecting me from either experiencing within myself or, you know, seeing about myself? Like, what is this protecting me from feeling, essentially? And when she put him, you know, where everybody else was in that care, she immediately felt very unsafe. She started to feel anxious and she's like, okay, this is the feeling that I'm avoiding by constantly referencing this guide of mine, this this person who's better than me and putting them up here. Okay, well, that's the shadow work then. And I also just want to say that like your shadow and, and part of attraction is that we disown positive qualities of ourselves. So a lot of times people will think shadow work, oh, it's like all the negative and painful experiences. No, It's just what you had to disown in order to survive. So you might have doors. She she also does this great analogy of talking about like doors with keys. So what we have consciously brought up, you know, the shadows that we have shown light on, those are the doors that we have the keys to. And the ones that we don't, the things that are still in the shadow that don't have the light on them are the ones that we haven't discovered that internal key for yet. And what can a lot of times happen through what we call positive bonding patterns in voice dialogue is that we will put somebody else in the place of meeting that need for us because sometimes it can feel like that person, like they have the key to that door. 
And oftentimes what can happen for people is they will lose access to a certain aspect of themselves, a quality or a door within themselves, but they'll see it in someone else. And they'll want to get close to that other person subconsciously because they think by doing that, that they will be able to be accepted, be loved, and possibly be able to embody those qualities as well. But when it's unconscious, we're not actually doing the work to integrate why it is that we're attracted to that person. So the, um, the positive qualities can be things like joy, self-reliance, self-responsibility. Like we could have actually separated ourselves from those qualities. And so when we see somebody who seems self-responsible, we're like, wow, that person has everything. Um, I just recently had a client tell me the other day about her own magical thinking. And this is really what limerence is. It's a form of magical thinking where she had this idea in her mind that um, everybody else like basically lives a perfect life so much like all the way down to, you know, the person who built that building, like I bet they have a perfect life and it's totally delusional, but it's an attempt to self-regulate. So this is the one other thing I want to say about this, because this, this is where it gets interesting. We will literally put ourselves, I want to find the exact, the exact phrase right here about the victimhood. Oh yeah. Okay. So like, I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but the creator of the, the limerence video that I'm talking about, she also spoke about an addiction. She had this addiction or she had this bad habit and she was really ashamed of it, but she met somebody who had that addiction or had that bad habit and they wore it like a badge of honor. Now I have done this, you guys, I have done this where like many of you guys know, I have struggled with cannabis addiction pretty much since I was like 13 years old. I, I was introduced to cannabis very, very young. Um, I wish that I hadn't been, but I'm currently sober. I'm not smoking, um, but I have struggled and it's something that I really have to, you know, keep on top of. And honestly, like I've smoked a lot of fucking weed in my life. Okay. And (laughs) I have looked at people who have that addiction and I've justified, I've like attached in the past and I've gone, okay, well that person seems to have it together and they, and they use this substance. So now I can use this as a form of justifying my own behavior without actually having to take responsibility for myself. This is again, that pedestal where we can blame somebody else. It's almost like well, if something goes wrong because of this, I don't actually have to take responsibility for it because I was attaching it to this other person. It's a very sneaky and a very interesting kind of psychological phenomenon that happens. And that's also why I have a hard time with my short-term memory, just to be clear. <laughs> it's getting better though. Um... Okay, my cat's at the door. Let me just let them in. Did you see her? Did you see her run across the screen like that? So cute. Okay, um, oh, I want to touch on positive bonding patterns real quick. Because I kind of mentioned that. So, in voice dialogue, 
there are positive and negative bonding patterns. Positive does not mean good. Positive bonding pattern is something that typically happens in the beginning of a relationship and it's something that we do not want to look at. So we are usually in complete denial about the fact that we're in a positive bonding pattern because it feels so good. A positive bonding pattern is when you are doing something for that other person that they are not doing for themselves and vice versa. So it's all great, right? As long as they're taking care of that part of you. And as long as you're taking care of that part of them, everything's good. But the minute that either one of you become a human being and drop that role of doing something for the other person that they are not actually doing for themselves, that's when we switch over into the negative bonding pattern. And that's when we get the inner parents coming out and fighting with one another. Honestly, I did a whole entire workshop on this like last year. It's a very deep topic, so I'm not going to go fully into that, but essentially the way that we identify a positive bonding pattern is sort of like how I'm describing this limerence. We want to look and see what is the role? What is the the thing I'm I'm kind of like saying this person's going to play a character in my life. What are they doing for you that you don't do for yourself? What would happen or how would you feel if they suddenly didn't do that thing for you? That's a very good sign that you're in a positive bonding pattern. Um, Also lashing out at somebody because they don't fit the perfect expectation that you have of them in your head. That's also a sign that you're in limerence and codependency. And that really just this inner child part of you is out. So we want to be, how we break out of positive and negative bonding patterns is we we actualize ourselves. We come into the adult self. We come into the center. We reparent ourselves so that we're not interacting with other people from protector aspects, from inner children, but that we are really the one up in front and center. And the moment that either person breaks out of that, that's the moment that we can actually have connection because that's the moment that we're actually more interested in knowing that person than we are being soothed by a false idea of them. Okay. Let's see what else. Some other kind of, you know, symptoms. It's like limerence doesn't have to be sexual, um, but it often, or, or romantic. I've had limerence with um, a couple of like female people throughout my life, like female friends, Um, but it's because I perceived them to be like better than me in some way. And so I won't go into all of that, but so it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic or sexual, but if you find yourself like obsessing or like preoccupied with like what is this person going to do to me and like how they're going to treat me and how they're going to make me feel and that's a sign that we're in limerence again because connection happens in real time all right let's see Oh, this is really good. This is really good. One of the things she says is, um, 
you know, if somebody, if that connection or that desire to connect doesn't go both ways, a lot of times what can happen, and I think all of us has probably been there at some point, is we can slip into a victim mode and go, you know, I'm just so loving and caring. This person just doesn't accept me because of, and then we'll make up a reason that has nothing to do with why they actually don't want to be in a relationship with us. So she gave this example of being really interested in this guy. They would have great conversations, great connection, but he wasn't attracted to her. Um, he, he just didn't feel like, yeah, this is my person. I want to go ahead. And that happens. And so what she did was she created this story in her mind that said that he just doesn't want to be with me because I'm not fit enough. And if I was fit enough, then he would be attracted to me or whatever it is, you know, or, oh, poor me, you know, I'm so loving and I'm so giving and, you know, nobody, you know, just nobody's ready for that. Nobody can actually handle the love that I have. No, we are not. This is specifically a quote from her. You're not good at loving anyone that you have on a pedestal. We're not good at loving anyone that we have on a pedestal. It's not loving to us and it's not loving to them. Okay. That's like eight pages of notes here. I just want to make sure we're not missing anything. Um, okay, so I guess I didn't touch on this. So when I was saying don't hang on through the radical honesty, like don't hang on to appreciation because that can turn into an unconscious expectation. Any expectation that we have in a relationship should be spoken. It should be very, very clear what, you know, that that expectation is known between both people. It's not wrong to have expectations in relationships, but it is not fair to have expectations of people that you've never spoken about having expectations with and just sort of like subconsciously deciding that because this one time they looked at me this one way or they they were there for me in this one way now they're always going to be like that for me so just like we don't want to hang on to the appreciation we also don't want to hang on to the resentment which seems a little bit more obvious right because if we're feeling um, resentful towards somebody and we don't actually say something, then we can see why that might spiral out of control. So radical honesty asks us to um, communicate with people in a way that is kind, but also clear. And I work with a lot of my clients on this using the, the voice dialogue model of confront versus conciliate, which the word conciliate, I don't know why. I just feel like it's a complex like that word, it doesn't make a clear enough image, I think, for people. So basically we have oftentimes two parts of us. The confrontational part of us that's um, able to advocate for our own boundaries in a very clear way. And we have a conciliatory part, which you would say is more interested in salvaging and maintaining relationships and cares about how what we're saying impacts the other person, cares about how... Um, the other person has vulnerability and can the conciliatory part can almost like guess how the tone of something is going to impact someone so yeah so we work with with these two aspects and and integrating them and bringing them into harmony so that we have access to both the ability to speak on our own boundaries 
get a passing grade from that part of us that says, yeah, that was clear enough. That was firm enough. That wasn't too people pleasy. And then the other side that says, you know, we cared about the other person. We were kind. We didn't just like slaughter them with our boundaries and, and honesty. And that can really help to um, nonviolently communicate and have effective communication with people. So that's something else you can look into if you're interested is um, Marshall Rosenberg's work on nonviolent communication. Absolutely incredible. Something that I'm really digging into or starting to dig into. <laughs> so again, by no means am I an expert on that, but I've been using the con confront conciliatory thing for a while now. And it may seem uh, like, oh, I could do that. I could just yeah, of course, confront, you know, I could find that balance within myself, but most of us are not actually used to communicating with people that way. And most people have not had that type of communication modeled to them. So it it is actually a challenge to like find that balance between advocating for ourselves and also still being connected to other people. I'm just going to turn the light on because it's getting a little dark in here. Okay. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> We're back. Okay. Let's see. Hmm. I think this is, I think we're getting close to the end here. Just want to make sure there's nothing else. Yeah. Just that like people are not always going to do what we want them to do. People are not always going to say the things that we want them to say because they're people, because they're human beings. And when we have that um, deficit in connection early in our childhood, um, we have that developmental trauma. We, we have that missing experience of being, you know, like, like I said, like the center of someone's world where there's so much care going into how you're being treated and how you're being spoken to and how you're being connected to. And so if we're missing that experience, we can just kind of be carrying around that inner child that's hoping that somebody's going to save us and be perfect. And, and then our lives will suddenly be perfect. And even though we may logically know that that's not true, we can still hold on to some of these behaviors and even get disappointed when people don't live up to those expectations. So I think the sooner that we can burst the bubble, the sooner that we can bring somebody down from their pedestal, the more that we're actually going to be able to integrate, like, what what is that situation showing me? How can I humanize that person so that... I'm not disappointed. And, you know, so that we can be like adult to adult. Because people are not here to be a character in our life. They're not here to... And really, like, we want to be in reality about who somebody is. Because that's the only thing that will determine whether it's actually compatible with us. Okay. Um, last thing that I'm going to say here is something that I'm planning on speaking about more in the future. 
one of the other, you know how I was naming like, what are some reasons why somebody might develop limerence? Well, I was talking about neglect, insecurely attached to a caregiver, um, but here's a couple of other ones that I thought were interesting. Having a sibling being treated better than you. So if you grew up with a sibling and you saw them getting preferential treatment, that can lead to this. Being parentified as a child, I know a lot of you were parentified as a child. Or even spousification, which that's something I really want to speak about more in the future because I don't really hear people talking about that, but I have clients who um, were spousified by their parents. So basically what that means is that the parent tried to put the child in the role of being their emotional support person, being their spouse. And sometimes that can actually go in a sexual direction and that's really quite unfortunate and sad um, for the child. So parentification, spousification, neglect, any type of abuse that would warrant a desire for a rescue. Um, and like I also said before, basic needs being met, but emotional um, intimacy and deeper needs not being met. So what I'll land with is we need to start to let go of the stories that we have in our mind about people. We need to regulate our nervous systems. <laughs> we need to heal our attachment trauma. We need to work with these core wounds. And as scary, terrifying, daunting as this process may seem, it's also very liberating to know that there's nothing wrong with you because you've experienced this. Um, even if you've gone into rumination obsession, you know, I've worked with women who've recovered from severe narcissistic abuse and it literally has changed the way that their body and brain functions and they have gone into that fantasy, that magical thinking limerence and then gone and stalked that person or gone to really extreme lengths. And what we have to do is we have to reverse engineer that process. We have to bring ourselves back to us, back to what is, what is my fantasy or magical thinking about this person telling me that I am missing? What is the missing need and experience? And how can I take actionable steps in my life to, to complete that, to have that met? How can I take time out of my day to pause and check in and actually talk and dialogue with my inner child? What does she need or he need? Can you plan an actual date to hang out with your inner child? All of those things. Somatic exercises. All the things. Okay. Wow, guys. Thanks for hanging in there with me for that. I hope that that was helpful. I know it sure as hell was for me. And you guys know that whatever I learn about, like I'm going to share... This information should be free for all of us and we should all have access to just like this obscure shit that nobody ever taught us about. So there's a lot of things that I'm going to share in the future and maybe, God, I feel good about this live. You guys haven't done a live in so long and this is like flowing probably because I'm not like, you know, I'm present. <laughs> Okay. I just want to say one last thing. Have you ever had an experience? I've had an experience where someone was like, wow, you were so present with me. Um, I could just feel that you were really with me. 
And I knew in that moment that they that they were creating a story about it. Like, we don't actually fucking know. We don't actually know. Unless somebody tells you, I was so present with you in that moment. You don't actually know that. Somebody could be staring at you like, mm. wow. But they're like in a different planet in their head. Like they're like dissociated or they're thinking about what they're going to have for dinner. So, you know. <laughs> All right. It says, let's just read some of the comments here. Thank you so much. Yay. Speaking of these, apart from SLAA, I don't hear enough about what's SLAA? Oh, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Yes. So that's actually one of the resources for people struggling with limerence is something like Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Um, the person whose YouTube channel that I'm referencing all this stuff from, um, Heidi Preeb, I'm going to tag her. Um, but she, underneath her YouTube, she did like three major YouTube videos about this. And there's resources like books that she gives articles. So if you want to read more about that, you can go to her channel and, um, and get those resources. And I'm probably going to buy one of those books <laughs> or all of them. Um, thanks for sharing. Oh, love you guys so much. Okay. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day out there and be well. We got this. We're healing. Self-awareness is the first step. Bye, guys. <laughs>